as I'm getting my notes prepared. Jonah chapter 3, running with God. The third week of Jonah, this series called, We Are Jonah. And why are we Jonah? Well, from the very beginning of this study, we see that Jonah received a word from God. Jonah spoke to God. And what did Jonah do? He fleed, he ran, he got on a boat, and he went as far away as he could. He, in fact, had the mindset of going approximately 2,500 miles away from the direction God wanted him to go, which the very direction he could have gone was 550 miles. 2,500, 500. That's pretty crazy. But it was all because he didn't like the message that God told him. You see, I think that's like us. We're always praying to God, God, lead me. God, give me guidance. God, tell me what to do. But then when God tells us what to do, if it's not what we have in our own minds that we think we need to do or we think we want to do, or maybe it's hard news, it's a hard thing to do, well, we run. We flee. We go as far away as we can. Or maybe we don't run, but we ignore it. And we keep on looking for a different answer. Well, God, you know, I don't really like this, this direction that you're thinking. Can you give me a different thing to do? Maybe call somebody else to do this. And that may have been another reason that Jonah fled. Is he thought, well, I'm just going to get as far away from Nineveh as I can. Because I think that God should just destroy Nineveh. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, he should just wipe it out of existence. So I'm going to get as far away from that city as I can. And I think God might just call somebody else to give that message. <laughs> well, that's not what God did, was it? God made this huge tempest, this huge storm to correct Jonah. And God pursued Jonah. God had a plan to use Jonah, and he didn't want to find somebody else. He wanted to use him. Let me give you this story to start with, and then we'll stand and read from Jonah 3. A funny but true story. Norman Crates shared this humorous story of a guy who prayed this prayer every morning. Lord, if you want me to witness to somebody today, please give me a sign to show me who it is. One day he found himself on a bus when a big burly man sat next to him. The bus was nearly empty, but this guy sat next to our praying friend. All these open seats, and he chose to sit right next to our praying friend. The timid Christian anxiously waited for his stop so he could exit the bus. But before he could get very nervous about the man next to him, the big guy just burst into tears and began to weep. He then cried out with a loud voice, I need to be saved. I'm a lost sinner, and I need God. I need Jesus. Won't somebody tell me how to be saved? He turned to the Christian beside him and pleaded, Can you show me how to be saved? The believer immediately bowed his head and prayed, Lord, is this a sign? Are you looking for a sign to start witnessing? Let us read. If you could go ahead and uh, stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able to. As we read from Jonah chapter 3. In verse 1 of Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, 
Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. But the decree of the king and his nobles, by the decree of the king of his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish." When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I think it shows how we respect God's word and the authority, the power that's behind it when we read it together out loud and stand. Here's my first point and kind of the overwhelming idea behind the several points that we'll talk about and the whole idea. We are Jonah, chapter 3. We must preach the bad news to get to the good news. We must preach the bad news to get to the good news. I encourage all of you to take notes. And I don't give you an outline. And sometimes I may, but I don't generally give you an outline. But I do give you things on the display that are really good for you to write down to just get your mind thinking in the direction it should. But I also know that the Spirit's going to lead you. And I ask you to just pay attention and allow the Spirit to lead you. Write down what the Spirit's telling you through this message. But we must preach the bad news to get to the good news. Now, in Jonah chapter 1, God spoke to Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah spoke to God. In his darkest day, his darkest night, he's stuck in the belly of a great fish, and he speaks to God. And he doesn't focus on his problems in the way where woe is me and, oh, I should just die and I'm not worried. He focuses on his great God and the mercy that he has, the salvation that he has. And we end with him vowing to do what he has been told to do. To do the work of a prophet and to preach the news that he's commanded to give to Nineveh. We must preach the bad news to get to the good news. And in verse 1 and 2 we read... Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. No one likes being the bearer of bad news. This is something that we learn as children. Maybe when you're fighting with your brothers or sisters and something gets broke, and then you have to decide as siblings, Oh no, who's going to tell mom? Who's going to tell dad? Maybe it's breaking something at school or while playing with your friends. Maybe you're playing baseball out in the backyard and the ball went through a window. 
Maybe you broke somebody else with that baseball, and now you have to go tell mom and dad. Um, I, I know I've been through that many times with my own kids, and even when it's they hurt somebody else, maybe it's Alexa or Lana playing with Colton, and Colton gets hurt, and immediately, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Nobody wants to fess up. Wouldn't it be much better just to tell us the truth? Tell us what's going on and tell us, Colton got hurt, I'm sorry, I was playing and I was wrestling and his arm got bent backwards, whatever it is. It's so much better to speak the truth. But no one likes being the bearer of bad news. This carries into adulthood. When you have to share bad news with your family, a loved one, or maybe a boss or an employee at your work, a lost job, a bad prognosis from a doctor's appointment, diagnosis, Think about the doctor's job, too, of having to deliver that bad news. But he can't just hand it off to somebody else. He shouldn't just sugarcoat it. He needs to tell them the bad news. We do not like to share bad news. And this also goes into the Great Commission. It goes over to our spiritual lives as we fulfill the Great Commission. We don't like to share the bad news of hell. Life eternal without God. Eternal punishment, torture. What the Bible says is weeping and gnashing of teeth, pain. But we must preach the bad news in order to get to the good news. In order to fulfill Jesus' final words and his commands in the Great Commission. You know, those final words, those final commands of Jesus that we read in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. We love to talk about it, but we don't always love to do it. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then we have the greatest commandment, which Jesus told us, which is to love God. And then the second, which is this, to love others as yourself. If we are to love God and we're to love others as ourselves, we should be fulfilling the commands that Jesus calls us to do. And part of that is to preach the bad news. And that's hard because we just want to talk about God's love for his people. We love to reassure people that they have great value in God's eyes. They have hope and that God wants a relationship with them. But we avoid talking about the why. Why do they need this relationship? And if you don't surrender your life to God, you are doomed for all eternity. You know, the Bible talks a lot about hell. It talks a lot about the penalty, the punishment, the consequences of not following after Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Not believing in God as the creator and the father of us. Something that, that God's word, the Bible describes as everlasting contempt. Eternal fire, a fire which cannot be quenched, a worm which shall not die, the hell of fire, the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I find that especially interesting and intriguing because that in itself is such a punishment. And it is to have to live apart from God for all eternity. The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. 
we must also preach the bad news so that we can get to the good news. People must know that the good news is truly good. They must be able to see what the value is in the good news. If we don't talk about the consequences of your sin, the consequences of not following after God, the consequence of not having Jesus as your Savior, well, they don't really truly know what real hope the Savior of Jesus is. If all we talk about is being saved from this world, they don't have the grand picture of what salvation really means to them. They must know the consequences of sin in an unredeemed, unrepentant, unforgiven life. There's no true repentance without hearing the bad news and asking to be forgiven and saved from what they deserve, the bad news. And as we move into discussing Jonah chapter 3, verse by verse, we'll see that God's plan for Noah, for Jonah, is to preach the bad news of doom to the Ninevites. We will see that Jonah may have been running away from God and his plan previously, but Jonah is now running with God. Jonah is running to do God's bidding, and we should also run with God. Run to his bidding, run to his plan, run to his will. Stop running away from God and run with God. And that's where we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 3, is Jonah is now running with God. As, Jonah's, as Jonah presents the news of doom, destruction, bad news to the Ninevites, we'll see how the Ninevites will receive undeserved mercy from God. And here's the funny thing. We hate being the bearer of bad news, right? We talked a lot about that. We only want to deliver the good news. But here we see Jonah. And Jonah does the complete opposite. He only wants to deliver the bad news. He doesn't want to deliver the good news. And here we have Jonah who is, who, <laughs> he just got spit out of a giant fish, vomited out of a giant fish because of his disobedience and running from God. Instead of running to God's plan, he just received this mercy and was saved from the depths of the sea. He was saved from running from God. I mean, here we have this man, this prophet, none the least, who he just saw this great mercy of God. And we think he'd want to show people the love of God. But he preaches and he wants to only show the bad news. But let's get back to Scripture. We must preach the bad news in obedience to God's word to preach the gospel. So I said there's a few reasons. We got the overwhelming idea. We must preach the, good, the bad news to get to the good news. But here's really number one under that, is we must preach the bad news as we do it in obedience to God's word to preach the gospel. We can't just, we can't just pick and choose what we're going to preach we must preach the whole Bible, the whole truth, the whole bad news and good news so people get the whole picture of how much God's love for us really means. We must not just pick and choose what stories of the Bible we believe and don't believe. What stories of the Bible we preach and we don't preach. Because it's all God's inspired word and it's all true. The moment that you say one part's not true and other parts are true, you open up the whole Bible to that same type of interpretation. And then you have people saying, well, I don't really believe Jesus ever died on the cross either. I think it's just a story to get us to be good for our moms and dads. We need 
the whole Bible. We need Jesus. Without Jesus, we have no salvation. Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. There's so much to get just from that one verse. If we're watching John Piper preach on this, we'd have different colors and different underlines, and he'd preach it on we for three weeks, right? We're going to try and get through the whole chapter today. But this is the second time that Jonah receives this command. This message almost completely mirrors the message of Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. But there's a few differences and a few similarities. First of all, the similarities. It's a message from God. That's a pretty big similarity. Now, Jonah has had God himself speak to him. Not just once, but twice. Actually, more than that, but, but here we have Jonah getting this direct command from God twice. You know, if God spoke into your life once with those mighty words, I want you to follow me, my command, I want you to go to this nation and preach against him, you'd think you'd listen. But we are Jonah. We don't like to do hard things, and we're stubborn. We're sinful people who don't always follow after God, so we like to do it our own way. And unfortunately, sometimes we have to figure out the hard way that our way is not really the right way. And then Jonah has to get this command the second time. God pursues us like a parent. I heard that illustration from a pastor this week about how God pursues us like a parent. And even when we do not deserve to be pursued, we don't deserve that love, he continues to pursue us. But this time, there's a difference. God tells Jonah to arise. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city. I like that word arise because I envision that, that word being told to Jonah right after he gets spit out upon the beach. He gets vomited out of the fish. And God tells Jonah, arise, get up. Don't lay there. Don't brush yourself off. Don't go take a shower. Now, I don't know how long it took him to really arise, but I think it shows us importance. It, it's an action word. And it says, you must arise. You must get up, and you must listen to me. Now, here's the difference we see. Jonah chapter 1, Jonah, Jonah may have arose, but he rose and ran away from God. Jonah chapter 3, he now runs with God. He runs in the direction that God calls him to do. Now we also see that Jonah, Jonah chapter 3 simply says, call out or preach against it the message that I tell you. Now in Jonah chapter 1, we read, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. That's similar, but here's the difference. For the evil has come up before me. God gives that little bit of detail. In Jonah chapter 3, he doesn't tell us that. Now, partially because Jonah already knows this. God's already told him this. Secondly, Jonah already knows this because this is a great enemy of Israel. It's somebody that Jonah despises and he doesn't want to go to. But I love how he says this. He says, the message that I tell you. You are to go to Nineveh, preach against it the message that I tell you. Simply stated, God is saying this. He's saying, do what I tell you to do. Say what I tell you to say. Just like Jonah, we are to go into the entire world, to all nations, 
and do what God tells us to do. We're to say what he tells us to say and let God work out the details. Don't worry about, well, God, I just don't know if I know enough. I don't know if I'm confident enough. I don't know if I have the words to say. I'm not very talented in my speaking. I let that get at me for a long time as I thought, well, I've, I've got a speech problem and I can't talk like the rest of the people. But you know what? God's not looking for extraordinary men. God's looking for ordinary men to serve an extraordinary God. One of my favorite verses. God is looking for you. God has a plan for you. But only when you're seeking God with your whole heart. Allow the power of God to work through you. Don't worry about if our church is big enough to, to get them in here. Don't worry about, about if you're powerful enough. Because it's not in that anyways. Allow God to work out the details and just do as he commands you to do. Live how he tells you to live. And preach what he tells you to preach. Proclaim the good news about the death of Jesus for all his people. But we must also preach the bad news. Why did Jesus die for us? We are sinners, undeserving his love. We are runners, and we must run with God. What did he do to save us? We need to tell people this. We need to tell people that he died to pay the penalty for our sins. He took on the wrath of God, the wrath of our sins. And because of this, no one else needs to. But we must remember to surrender our lives to him. Surrender our lives to Jesus. Put up our white flag and say, Jesus, you've got it. I know that I don't deserve it. And I know that you loved us so much that you went all the way to the cross. And because of that, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to follow you. And I thank you for doing that. Surrender yourself to him. Why do we deserve doom, destruction, and death? We have utterly failed at following God and his commands, his plans for our lives. Just look at the Ten Commandments alone and you'll see that we could show anyone, in fact, of how we utterly fail at following God's commands. The way of the Master does a great job at, at this. And most people would confess of using the Lord's name in vain, breaking the Sabbath, committing sexual immorality, or coveting. We make and seek our own idols, our own plans instead of God who is who we should be seeking. We need Jesus, and we need to listen and obey to his word. This time, Jonah chooses to obey. Jonah runs with God instead of away from God. We must preach the bad news so that people might have the chance to respond to the good news. We must preach the bad news so that people might have the chance to respond to the good news. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days in journey and breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people in Nineveh believed God. They called out for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Jonah, in obedience to God's word, arises to the challenge and goes to Nineveh now. And this was a great city. As we discussed in weeks before, this was a great city, both in size and, and really in several different ways of size. Both in people size and physical dimensions, physical size, military strengths, financial strengths, 
and their location as well being right on the river and having a great economy and eventually it would become the capital. Well, here you have a picture of one of the gates of Nineveh. We talked about how great these gates were, how big these gates were. Well, there's a picture to just show the size of a recreated gate. And I read in study, there would be 1,500 towers, 200 foot high, and up to four chariots wide. It was a great city. It was also great in their, obedience, in their disobedience to God. As a great city, it was great in their disobedience to God. But here's something about great cities. God loves great cities. Another illustration I found this week in my studies is I just really had time to think through is God loves great cities. God doesn't just love you. God doesn't just love me. He doesn't just love this small town of Bloomer who's so friendly and loving to everyone. I think I've met one person who wasn't very friendly. That's about it. God loves great cities. And you know why? Because great cities are filled with a great amount of his people. And God loves his people. Jonah says what is five words in, a, in the Hebrew text. Five words which would be salvation through judgment and mercy. Five powerful words. One powerful statement from God. And now Nineveh believed God. This is amazing. This is powerful. And it shows the power of God's word. And the power of obeying his commands. I did a simple search, which any of you could do, on different scripture talking about the power of God's word. And it came back with about 15 pages of scripture. I just want to read a few for you. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Psalm 119.105, listen to this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 107.20, he sent out his word and it healed them and delivered them from their destruction. God's word is powerful. And here we have Jonah speaking one statement that we're told. You know what? How would you like it if I could preach just five words? Every Sunday morning, I, you come in here and I speak five words. You guys are laughing, but you know what? It's true. You'd probably love it. If I could preach five powerful words, one powerful statement, and God would deliver, he would convict, and he would deliver people into his arms. People would be convicted of their sin and the wrath that they deserve and realize that they don't deserve it, but they can have Jesus. Now, we also could look at it from a different point. We could see that this shows Jonah's lack of full commitment to God. It shows his laziness. It shows that I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I made a vow. I'm going to keep my vow. I'm going to go to Nineveh, and I'm going to preach what God tells me to preach. destruction. But do you notice what he doesn't preach? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all we're told that he preaches. He doesn't preach the other side of it. 
He doesn't say, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown unless you turn from your evil, wicked ways. Now, I'm not saying that's what I believe. In fact, I don't think I do believe that because God's word also tells us in that very first verse to preach what I tell you to preach. Say what I tell you to say. But it is an interesting thought to see. Maybe Jonah didn't fully commit to say all that he was told to say. But... God's purpose was still made. God's intended purpose still came about. And this may have been preached throughout the city multiple times to different crowds. Or God could have possibly, miraculously, allowed all of, all of God's people, all of the people in Ninevites, to hear this at once. Five words. And they would now make a change. They would humble themselves before God and the king or the governor would as well. How is it that Jonah could get such a response from an entire city? Through the power of God and the power through his spoken word. Jonah is one simple man, but he is a man who's running with God at this point. He's preaching the message of God. A message which we read in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Jonah 2.9, salvation is from the Lord. Jonah is running with God, running with the Lord, and it's because of that that this salvation can be told. But even in Jonah's disobedience, as we read in chapter 1, people still came to know and believe in God. God doesn't need you, but he wants you. He desires to use you, and you should be running with God. Jonah's proclamation, his message is powerful because it comes from God. It's short but it accomplishes God's purpose. Are you waiting for the perfect timing to preach God's word, to preach the gospel? Are you waiting till you feel powerful enough, knowledgeable enough, equipped enough? Well, this will never happen. Because the power is not found in you. The salvation is not found in you. The power in the message of the gospel comes through knowing God and Jesus and the Spirit is truly where the power comes from, not us. We're commanded to preach the gospel, preach the word of God, and allow salvation to come to all those who hear. We are Jonah. We run. But in this situation, we see the example that we can run with God and not just against God. God is patient with the Ninevites. God is patient with Jonah. And God's also patient for you. But his patience only lasts so long. And we need to turn away from our disobedience and run with God. We must discipline ourselves to allow God's power to work through us and in his timing. Be purposed. We are missionaries. Allow those butterflies in your stomach as you come in, into God's commands for your life to work for him and not against him. Ask your neighbors if you can pray for them. Ask your neighbors to pray with them. Ask your co-workers to come to your house sometime for a cookout and begin to deepen your relationship with them. After working hours, ask them to come. Show that you want to invest your time and your energy into their life. And as you gain this relationship with them, you have the ability to be able to pray with them, to be able to talk with them about Jesus. The devil will do his best to get in its way. The people in Nineveh, though, here, Believed in God, a great and wicked people, because Jonah ran with God and allowed his word to be preached through him. 
people who could have laughed at Jonah, people who could have killed Jonah, they could have took him as prisoner and tortured him, but instead they believed. And sometimes that will happen. Sometimes we'll get made fun of, we'll get persecuted, we'll get, we're, we won't get the, the attention we deserve at work or in the community because we're always preaching God's word. But we must still do what we're commanded to do. I also think that Jonah might have had some help here. You see, news travels fast. And even back then, it took Jonah 550 miles if, if he did get spit right back up on the shores of Joppa and have to start fresh to prove his commitment. It took him approximately a month, five weeks, we don't know really, just thinking about modern day traveling, how long it might take to walk that distance or to hop on a camel or horse or donkey. It could have taken him a month or more to walk that distance. And in that distance, the news of these miracles of God and his prophet and of the mariners, the sailors, could have gotten back to the city of Nineveh. I also read where some historians believe that God could have already made some plagues happen on this city to try and show them the evil in their ways, their wickedness, and how they needed to turn and follow the ways of God. God was preparing the way for Jonah. We also see where if Jonah really did just arise straight from that stomach of the fish, well, maybe he's walking into this town, maybe smelling, maybe stinking like the miracle that saved him. Maybe his body, his flesh had burned from the acid of the fish. We don't know. We're, we're thinking through this. But God was preparing this for the people of Nineveh to believe. The gospel is powerful enough to change and renew your life. The gospel is powerful and changes and renews the hearts and lives of a sinful and wicked people. The gospel changed your life. It changed my life. We must allow it to change others. In verse 6 we read, the, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The ruler of Nineveh believes God. He repents and is humbled before God, and his actions show it too. Do our actions show it? Do our actions truly show that we believe in God? We shouldn't just believe, but we should have evidence for our faith. And we're not saved by the evidence of our faith. We're saved through professing that Jesus Christ is our Savior, through our belief. But we should still be living a changed life. Just like the baptisms we're about to do symbolize that our old life has passed away and our new life has begun in Christ. We publicly profess that. But do we continue to publicly profess that? When he receives the message, he is so humbled that he does not go back to his throne. He puts on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Not the throne, but ashes. This would speak volumes, both now 
and not just to us, but to his people. As he makes this proclamation for all the city to see, they would see that this king believes in God so much that he is not going to sit on his throne. He realizes now that he is not worthy. And he would issue this decree that they should fast. But not just them, even their animals should fast. And I read that this was also very common, that during a time of mourning, a time of fasting, even the animals would fast. And the animals that would die would be used as sacrifices. The king gives this command while humbled and clothed in sackcloth and sitting in ashes. He sets the example for the city to follow. For anybody who is still wandering, still running away from God, he preaches this message. And he preaches this final verse here of, of this final section of 9, which I love, which just says, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? We often want proof. We don't want to change our life until we see how it benefits us. But here we have the king saying, who knows? Cry out mightily to God, mightily, because who knows, maybe, just maybe God will relent from, this, from his wrath and he might save us. He might allow us to live another day. They do all of this not knowing if we will even make a difference or not. He, the king. Do you know how hard it is to get a king to get off of his throne? I don't know, but I've watched a lot of movies about kings and they like their thrones. They like their power. They like their royal garments and their jewels. And he gets off of the throne and sits on ashes and makes this decree because just maybe God will allow them to live another day. Just maybe by believing in God, they will be saved. And they do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and we should too. We need to do what's right. Do the hard things. We already know that the proof. We already know that God saves us. We already knew, know that God sent his son Jesus to save us. Why are we not living and following after him? We need to run with God. How might we be a Jonah here? How might we bring a city to its knees? Just as the king was brought to his knees and sat in ashes, we run with God. Stop running away from God. Run with God. Stop Stop speaking against God and allow God to speak through you. Use his power, which is the power unto salvation. Stop trying to use your own power. Follow him, and in doing so, allow others to follow after God as well. The message of doom, judgment, bad news brought down not just the people of the wicked city, but a king. This message also brought down Jonah to his knees, <laughs> to the depths of the sea, and into the belly of a great fish as he realized, I need to do the work of God. And he realized just how powerful the salvation of God is. It changes you. The message of the gospel is powerful, and it changes you. It gives you what you do not deserve. It changed you. It changed me. Allow it to change other people by running with God. Say what he wants you to say. Do what you, he wants you to do. And allow God to work out the details. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. 
God shows them mercy, a mercy that they do not deserve, and he shows the same to you. He gave you a second chance at life, as he did Jonah, as he did the Ninevites. And God wants to show other people around you the chance at a second life too. But God wants to use you to tell them this story. Are you going to allow them to see it? Are you going to run with God or are you going to run against God? Are you going to allow God to preach through you? Will you share the gospel and tell someone else how they too might have a chance at a second life? Are you going to arise and flee, chapter 1, or are you going to arise and run with God? The eternal life of someone around you is at stake. People around you are looking for hope. But they need to see hope. They need to see the gospel. They need to see the whole gospel. Not just the bad news, but the good news. Not just the good news, but they need to know the bad news too. Because they need to know just how powerful the cross is. They need to know what are they being saved from. I started this this sermon with a story. The story of someone asking for a sign. Lord God, is this, is this a sign? How much more obvious could it be? The sign has already been given. You already have your command from God. Now do it. Do it. We are Jonah. Run with God. Stop looking for a sign. We already have the sign. Just do what he tells us to do. Maybe you're Jonah today. Maybe, Jonah, maybe God's giving you some hard news. Maybe God's giving you a hard command, and you're trying to find out, how do I avoid this? When you're working so hard to run 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, when God just wants you to go 500 miles in his direction, ask God for forgiveness and ask him to help you, because it's in his power that we run, not our own. Maybe you're the Ninevites. Maybe you're a wicked, great city and great disobedience, and you just need to surrender your life to him. I ask you to do that today. And as we pray to close, give your life to Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Father God who created it all. Allow him to work in your life. I'm going to pray in closing, and don't forget to stick around. We do have some baptisms here to show that new life. Lord God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your message, which is truth. And it's truth to show us the wickedness of our ways. Just like that great city of Ninevites, just like Jonah when he was running away and living in disobedience, we run in disobedience, and we are wicked and sinful people. We don't deserve you, but you love us anyways. You have patience with us anyways. Lord, I pray today that we will believe in you, We are surrender our life to you as Lord and Savior and creator of all that is. And we will follow after you. We will run with you. Lord, help us today. Help us this week to stand for truth. And to proclaim the gospel, the bad news, and the good news. That people might see the value of this hope that they have in Jesus. In your holy name I pray. Amen. If you're being baptized, you're welcome to leave.